Good morning, Steve Dales, Pet World on WGN. What do you think one of the top five questions I get? What do you think? Uh, separation anxiety in dogs, cats who are thinking outside the litter box, aggression in dogs, aggression in cats. Here's another one. What do I do about dogs that are afraid of fireworks? I'll talk about that because this, today, this moment is the time to start dealing with it rather than on July 2nd or 3rd when people begin to hear fireworks. Although, at the rate we're going in Chicago, you begin to hear fireworks, what, about April? I mean, it's gotten crazy. Nevertheless, I do have some ideas. I want to share those. And in addition to that, there's an amazing program They're an amazing organization anyway, Rainbow Animal Assisted Therapy. And what they do is incredible. But they have one program in particular, which I didn't know about. It's not talked about a lot. And it's for kids that are afraid of dogs and how to help them. We'll talk with Susan Burroughs about that. Dr. Nico Grisopoulos is a professional services veterinarian at Zoetis. I want to talk about fleas and ticks. And heartworm, it's those parasites that so many, I think, Dr. Grisopoulos, think it's not going to happen to me, especially if you live in an urban area. But that's not the case necessarily, unfortunately, is it? You are correct. That is not the case. You can live in urban, rural. You, uh, these parasites are a threat no matter where you live. And Steve, if it's easier for you, you can just go by Dr. G for the rest of the time. Okay, no worries. Dr. G, so I've got this question. Uh, Ticks, you wouldn't think that tick disease would be in an urban area like Chicago, Uh, but I believe it is. In fact, I believe it's also on the rise. Uh, Tick illness is definitely on the rise, and it is definitely a threat even if you are in the city area. So even your own backyard can be a threat for ticks, fleas, Um, Other parasites like heartworm, uh, intestinals, like hookworms and roundworms, those are all a threat in your own backyard. And Steve, as you know, our pet owners, they're not just staying home or going out in the backyard. They're traveling to other areas, too, like national parks. Um, I know the Chicagoland area, the national area, uh, especially during COVID, people were on the rise of getting out of their house and getting to these areas where it's definitely a threat, but still always a threat in your own backyard. Well, and in fact, tick disease all over the country, I believe, is on the rise for a variety of different reasons. Uh, There is more urban wildlife, and as the suburbs have stretched out more and more, there's more intersection with that wildlife. Birds can even spread ticks, and birds go anywhere they want to go, of course. In addition to that, tick disease itself is on the rise, led by Lyme, But a lot of diseases that sound nasty, babesiosis, anaplasma, I mean, they sound really bad. And there are even tick diseases being discovered as we speak. In fact, dogs are kind of a sentinel for us. So if the dogs can get the tick disease, that means greatly we can too. The difference is, I believe, and you tell me if you agree, we can actually do a better job of protecting our dogs than we can ourselves. 
You are correct. Well, tick disease is definitely on the rise. A lot of other diseases, too, that affect our dogs are on the rise, too, like heartworm disease. And um, especially in certain parts of the country, we can see these elevated a little bit more. But um, it's it's really, Steve, it's no better time to be a dog. Uh, like you said, I mean, they have better protection when it comes to vaccination, to preventative medications than we have uh, for ourselves. And so it's a really great opportunity for pet owners to take this into their hands and prevent these diseases by working with their veterinarians to come up with a plan that initiates a great vaccination plan, a great preventative plan that uh, typically deals with a monthly preventative. And um, we've got some really easy ways to do that, too, that we'll talk about today. All right. All right. Let's talk about that, because what people sometimes do is they go to the big box store or go online and they say, oh, here's a product on sale or, oh, here, I like that product because... There's a Cocker Spaniel on the packaging, and I have always had Cocker Spaniels. Or for whatever reason, maybe there's a coupon involved. However, I don't believe that's the way to purchase a tick product, is it? It is not. You definitely want to work with your veterinarian to make sure they're making the best recommendation that is uh, set for that pet's lifestyle, their health risk, and maybe their medical underlying conditions. But you are correct. Not all tick and heartworm preventatives are built the same. Um, we at Zoetis, we're really proud to offer uh, a product called Semperica Trio. It's actually the first all-in-one, once-a-month chewable that protects your dog against heartworm disease, ticks, fleas, roundworms, and hookworms. And like we said before, it is not all built the same out there. So this one actually provides, in studies, has been shown to provide 100% protection against heartworm disease, and it's also FDA approved to prevent Lyme infections by killing that deer tick fast. So, um, again, not all built the same, and this one makes it easy for pet owners because they only have to do one thing once a month um, instead of like before where they were doing a bunch of different things. It's a chewable, so you don't have to worry about kind of that topical, greasy feel. Uh, Really easy for pet owners to take that into their own hands, especially as we enter into these warmer months coming up here. And Lyme, in fact, is the number one tick disease in the nation and in the Chicago area as well, but it's not alone, and... Protecting against more than one tick disease is important. I want to talk about, you mentioned heartworm a couple of times, and, oh no, got one, a mosquito. Where there are mosquitoes. So true, uh, WGN Radio, right here, where we broadcast from, is on the 18th floor, downtown Chicago. And looking out the window, not today, but a couple of Sundays ago, guess what I see? I see a mosquito flying by. It was so large that I think it had passengers on board. And up 18 (laughs) stories on top of everything else. There are certainly mosquitoes everywhere you go. And even for dogs that are predominantly apartment dogs because they're greatly indoors, even if you live in a high-rise, as so many people in Chicago do, that mosquito may get in. But certainly most dogs go out quite often. And all it takes is one mosquito bite from the wrong mosquito, I think. You are correct. A single mosquito bite can transmit heartworm disease, Steve. So um, it is a misconception that, hey, I don't see worms in my dog's feces. Well, heartworm actually lives in the heart and lungs, and so it can cause some pretty traumatic disease states in your dog. Um, They can have exercise intolerance. They can have trouble with breathing, coughing, fatigue, um, even death if left kind of undiagnosed. And the best way to help us not have that happen is to prevent it. Uh, You're also correct about tick-borne illnesses being on the rise. We see that kind of happening with not just Lyme disease, 
um, but also, like you said before, anaplasma. And again, having a great preventative on board that kills those ticks fast is really important. And then we don't have a lot of vaccinations for every tick-borne illness, but we do have a great one for Lyme disease something we don't even have uh, available for people. So having that double protection armor there with vaccination and preventative is going to be key. But you're right, those mosquitoes, they are nasty, and they do cause disease by a simple mosquito bite. Yeah, and, and the good news is heartworm in dogs anyway, not in cats, can be treated, but it's really expensive. It's not an easy treatment. Some say, at, in some ways anyway, the treatment is worse than the disease. It's like one of those that we've heard about in humans, right, where the treatment is so awful. And in addition to that, once that dog has heartworm, we now know through recent studies that there is damage that's going to last forever. So it seems to me that protection is kind of the way to go. Correct. I love how educated you are on this, Steve. You're right. As a veterinarian, one of the worst things I have to diagnose is heartworm disease and actually talking through the treatment and coming up with a treatment plan. It's not an easy road for these pets. Um, It really does encompass a full year of their life, and we know they live such short lives. So the best way that we can deal with this is to prevent the disease, and we have great preventatives to do that, like I talked a little bit about earlier. So um, fantastic uh, options for your owners to take that into their own hands today. Well, if there's a time to do it, if you haven't done so already, this is the time to do it as the weather continues to warm up kind of warm already, which is a good thing. Dr. G, before we go, any final tips? Yeah, well, I'm going to leave you with Dr. G's three key uh, points here. So uh, make sure that your veterinarian is always the center of your dog's health care. Really prioritize veterinary visits and make sure that you're uh, coming up with a preventative plan with your veterinarian that not just focuses on these warmer months coming up, but also year-round protection. And if you want more information, go to protectmypupquiz.com. That's protectmypupquiz.com to get in more information on how to protect your pup on all the parasites I've talked about today. Sounds Thanks good. Lot, Steve. Thank you very much. Now is the time, not tomorrow, next, not next week, not next year, to deal with fireworks if you're, if you know. So how do, you, so the one question is, how do I know my pet will be afraid of fireworks? Well, one clear answer is if your pet has been afraid in the past, it'll be worse every year or at least be the same. But the thinking is, okay, pets learn over time that, okay, it's a loud noise, but nothing's going to happen to me. No, they don't. Uh, and, and actually the fear, worsens or tends to intensify with every passing year. So, yes, it is the right thing for you to do something about it, and I'll talk about what you might do in a moment. Also, for many of you, you might not have had a pet over the 4th. I mean, maybe you adopted an animal and uh, or, or purchased the puppy, and now that dog or cat is in your home, but you've not experienced the 4th and you don't know. So what I'm about to tell you is a good thing to do because you might even prevent, might, prevent that fear from happening in the first place. So what I want you to do is to go to your computer, go to YouTube, and type in fireworks. There are hundreds of videos of fireworks. It's not the video I'm interested in, of course, it's the audio. And what we're going to do is desensitize and counter condition. Now, for dogs that you know are fearful, especially begin, or cats, yeah, cats too, conceivably, begin at a very low, low volume. So you could barely hear it. And then boom, bang, boom, the fireworks happen. But again, low volume. And at the same time, either play with your dog or cat or feed your dog or cat 
some special treats. The idea is that they'll associate that sound with something really good. And then over time, and now we have some time, right? So people tend to come to me and they knock on my door and they say, that's the knocking on the door. And they say, well, what can I do? And I say, it's July 3rd. The fireworks have already begun. There isn't much you can do short of pharmaceuticals, which I'll talk about. And they are not a bad idea. But here's an opportunity potentially. Now, I admit, this is not a foolproof method. And I'll continue to explain what that method is, first of all. So over time, what you're doing, you're continuing to pump up the volume of those fireworks. So bang, boom, they're louder and louder and louder. And you're playing with your dog or cat simultaneously. If your pet is saying, whoa, I'm, I'm worried about what's going on there, those sounds in any way, then you've pumped up the volume too much, too fast. However, if the pet continues to play and have a good time and eat the treats and all of that, you're in good shape in theory. Because for some animals, it works. It works like a charm. But for others, they really do know that's not the real thing. It doesn't sound quite the same. Here's an example. I did this little experiment with our cat in this case. I I did a... uh, a TikTok video, and by the way, you could check out our kitten, Groucho underscore the funny cat on TikTok. So I did a video and I said, Groucho, come. And Groucho was like three rooms away and I wanted to show you can, and you can teach a cat to come. Groucho was sound asleep and jumped, flew off the cat tree, ran down the hall. And then I thought, you know what? If I play this video back to Groucho, Just play the video. And Groucho's room's away. Will Groucho still come? Uh Uh-uh. He didn't. I played the video, played the video, he didn't come. But when I, in person, then said, Groucho, come, he came running. So can a dog or cat distinguish between a recording, in this case we're talking fireworks, or the real thing? Yeah, probably, sure. It depends on the animal and the circumstance, but this is worth a try. And even if it works to tone down that fear, anxiety, and stress they feel, that's worth it in of itself. And it may work. It often does work. Again, it depends on the animal. Now, what you want to do for an animal that you know, a dog probably, but it could be cat that you know in the past, has been terrified of fireworks, what you want to do is get something on board instantly. So it gives you a head start here with those even recorded fireworks. So here's an idea, a product called Zilkeen. There are so many nutraceuticals on the market now. Nutraceuticals are not a nutritional supplement. They're not a pharmaceutical. They're kind of a hybrid in the middle of both. There are maybe a hundred of them for stress relief for dogs and cats. This is one that has science behind it. Zilkeen is hydrolyzed milk protein, cannot do any harm. Cats, hydrolyzed milk protein, tend to really like it. Dogs do too. And it's spelled Z-Y-L-K-E-N-E. You can use a pheromone product. Plug in a pheromone product. Use something. Now, if you begin to hear fireworks, and you will, well before the 4th, right? No matter where you live now, on June 29th or something, fireworks happen. They happen, good, bad, or otherwise, like it or not, well before Independence Day. And if your pet says, and you could tell, your pet is shaking, trembling, your pet runs under uh, furniture, your pet is very much afraid. Maybe even has accidents in the house, if we're talking cats, accidents outside the litter box. 
then contact your veterinarian. I am a strong believer in rather than having an animal panic, using a pharmaceutical prescribed, please, by your veterinarian. Don't take something out of your medicine cabinet. You can really do harm that way to your animal because not all are the same. The dosages are very different for dogs and cats. The drugs may be different as well. So don't do that, please. Contact your veterinarian. And there are many short-acting drugs that can do the trick. They, they do take the edge off. They may cause your animal to be drowsy, in all honesty. What's worse, a panicked animal or asleep? Would you rather be asleep or panicked? So if you're afraid of spiders, and I put you in a room with 5,000 spiders, and I say you have a choice of doing that, and you are terrified of spiders, or you take a nap. Most people would say, I'll take a nap. If they're terrified of spiders, I might not. I don't mind spiders. You get the idea, right? You're not torturing your animal by, by preventing that terrifying feeling that they have. Some animals, I think, actually think they're going to die when they hear these. So we don't want that, do we, for our pets? They don't deserve that when we know we can do better. I have more information, more products on my website, which is stevedale.tv. You know, part of my job is to provide news and information from the animal world. Maybe news you haven't heard before, but you're about to hear it. Police near Ottawa, Canada, they're not doing their jobs. They should be arresting drunk raccoons for walking under the influence. It's true. Raccoons there are eating too many overripe fermented berries and acting very strangely, as a result, they meander meaninglessly down the street. They fall over, maybe in the middle of the street. People find them in their gardens, wherever they happen to be. No wonder why raccoons have rings under their eyes. I remember when we were in St. Kitts, there were chimpanzees. There was a bar on the beach, and there were, were they chimpanzees? They were not. They were monkeys. I forget the species that were not chimpanzees, not in St. Kitts. They were monkeys. I forget the species. I think they were probably an introduced species, but I don't remember. I don't know that. But here's what I do know. These monkeys would get drunk, and they actually became alcoholics, some of them. So be very careful what you feed the animals. I love talking to this lady because she does so much good. A hero, not only for dogs. It's not really about the dogs. It's about the people, as you will hear. Rainbow Animal Assisted Therapy. She is the Director of Programs, Vice President of the Board, has been around Rainbow for 79 years, I think. I don't know. <laughs> Susan Burroughs, how are you? Oh, thank you for your kind words. I'm very, <laughs> I'm very good. How are you? I'm fine. What is Rainbow Animal Assisted Therapy? I think that is where we start. Rainbow is the oldest and largest pet therapy organization in the Chicago metropolitan area. We bring dogs to facilities throughout Chicago and its suburbs to work with different populations, children in schools, um, individuals with special needs, patients in hospitals. We partner with Cold Children's Museum. Uh, We have a community response team that works with first responders and survivors during disasters and trauma. Um, And um, we do more than 250 We visit more than 250 facilities each month. I mean, that's incredible. And the number of people you reach is amazing. And if you had to figure it out, 
Actually, you couldn't, because by going into Lurie's Children's Hospital, as one example, and you're there with a child that has cancer, who just has the opportunity to pet a dog. Or maybe it's goal-directed therapy, and a medical professional is working with the patient, and the goal for that stroke victim uh, is to throw a tennis ball. Well, they're motivated to do it because there's a dog there. It's now fun to do. No matter what the program is, it's also family members that you're impacting, which I'm sure you'd agree with because you see it all the time, Susan. So it's not only the patient, and I argue there's even one more level, and that's the medical professionals who say, oh, this is wonderful, and a smile goes on their face. And I'll tell you, just by putting a smile on someone's face, we know that happy endorphins do a dance uh, that we want to have happen. Uh, do you agree with all that? I agree totally. What, uh, we teach our teams, for example, when they go into a hospital, the hospital's filled with trauma, but not just with the patients exhibiting trauma and feeling trauma. Their relatives, their visitors, their friends, and the staff. Yeah. Because everyone is involved in the healing process. So we know when we go into any facility, it's not only the individuals that we're working with in a school, it's also the teachers. If it's it's a if we go to Misericordia, which is a residential home for um, severe and profoundly developed, challenged uh, people, it's the AIDS as well. So wherever the dogs go, they're bringing emotional support to everyone around them. And Ms. Ricordia, we're well aware of our own Lou Manfredini is involved with that organization. So let me ask you about this. So everything you said, I knew about, but I didn't know this. Until I attended, I was a speaker for you at a luncheon you had to celebrate your volunteers, and we're just talking at the table, and Carol, who I believe is the president of the organization, talked about the dog apprehension classes. And I said, the what, what, what? And then she explained, and I thought, oh my gosh, we need to do a radio interview about this because I am periodically asked, is there someone I can go to? I've got a child who's afraid of dogs for whatever reason, and I want to fix that. And in some cases, the child wants to fix it. What do I do? Who do I see? And you have an answer to that. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Actually, it was because of those kinds of questions. We were, and we still get requests from individuals who, who might contact Rainbow and say, who can you refer us to to deal with a child with a, a fear of dogs? And um, there wasn't anybody. So in 2008, we created this program to meet that need. We're responding to a need of people who, who, who and we thought, who better to um, to address that need, then Rainbow, who, who works in the community in a therapeutic environment, um, and we have the dogs and the tr- and the ability to train our volunteers to work in that specific ty- with that specific type of population. Now, is this only children? Uh, adults can be fearful of dogs as well. Is this program only for kids that are afraid of dogs? We only work with kids ages 4 through 13. All right, so let's say you have a child or know of a child age 4 through 13 that is fearful of dogs. What is the first step? I suppose to contact you? Yes, to contact Rainbow. They can contact us through our website, and that's rainbowaat.org. 
or they can call Rainbow at 773-283-1129. All right, and and we'll provide provide that contact information in a bit again. So what is the program like? I've got a child in that age range, so I've made the call, I've made the appointment. Is this a class? Is this individual? Uh, I, I take it that you don't flood, is the technical term, these individuals uh, and bring them to an animal shelter where they're surrounded by 50 dogs at once. But what do you do? We do, uh, we, after we receive intake information from the parent as to if they know the reason why the child might have a fear dog, and we'll ask them, is your child able to be in rooms with dogs, or, or they, are they extremely fearful of a dog approaches? We're going to find out socially how they interact or not interact with dogs. They, they come to Rainbow. We have very, very small, limited-in-size classes where the children work individually, one-on-one with dogs. And, the, um, and each child has an individual educational plan. So based on their ages, based on the level of fear, we will proceed along um, it, uh, so as much as we can to help children develop skills and confidence in safely interacting with dogs. Now, who are the and dogs? Who are the dogs that are sort of the guinea pig dogs that you use? That's a very good question. The dogs in Rainbow, and we have currently 157 therapy uh, certified therapy dogs in Rainbow. There are approximately 12 <laughs> that work in this program. They're specially trained. They're very calm. They're always reliably responsible to their handlers. They're able to settle for long periods of time, and they wait for permission to interact with the participant. That's very important. They're not the dogs that that some of our other therapy dogs are really wiggling and happy to see you and reach out to you. These dogs sit, they lay, they're quiet. They wait until um, a child is ready to interact with them because when a child comes in to our facility, um, they are, many of them don't want to be in a room with a dog and they don't want anything to do with the dog. And they um, made um, their feelings are very real. They don't want to approach the dog. They don't want to pet the dog. They don't want to even look at the dog. And many of them don't want the dog to look at them. All right, so now, uh, Susan, very specifically trained dogs. All right, so Susan, I want to talk about how you go about doing this. <laughs> and I mean, if they don't want to be in a room with the dog, then how do you, how do you, how do you do that? You lock the door behind them? We, I doubt that. We will find out what you do do to help these children. Uh, and we will do that when we come back right here. We're talking to Susan Burroughs, Rainbow Animal Assisted Therapy on WGN. Susan Burroughs is the leader of programs. Did I get that quite right? I don't think so. Director of programs? director. Yeah, you sound sound like a director. And vice president of the board of Rainbow Animal Assisted Therapy, by far the largest organization of its kind in Chicago. But there is no organization like it because Rainbow does so much. So yes, Rainbow does those. And we talked about it earlier, the animal assisted therapy programs by going everywhere from into Hospitals that may be children's hospitals, they may go into a hospital and work with older folks, uh, may go into a library and just 
down, stay, and the dog listens to a child reading. I mean, there's a long list of programs and variety, but this one struck me because it is so different. It is for children, specifically, that are fearful of dogs. And we're talking about how this works. So you have these specially trained dogs that are ready for the kids. The kids then, a small group of them, walk into the room. But you said when we left off, Susan, that these kids don't even want to be in a room with a dog. So how do you do that? Well, we start with the dogs might be behind folding gates that that get lowered every session till they're even with the floor, or the child might be behind a wall, or they have a barrier between them and the dog, so they feel safe. Um, We might have, depending on the age of the child, we might be superheroes. And the superheroes have different powers. And they, we might say, here, are, let's create force fields within the room where the dog <laughs> So is the, I'm confused here. Is the dog the superhero, the dog's handler? No, or the, the child. The, that makes the most sense. So what is the most common superhero, what would it be, superhero uh, thing that, that uh, would it be? <laughs> Uh, I can fly. What would? What's the most common one that dogs? Uh, not the dogs. The children choose. The kids. The kids all like. They like to fly. Um, they like to be Spider Man or Superman, um, Wonder Woman. But, you know, they'll have power. We also have people have. We have magic wands. Oh, you and do. We, and we can be fairies <laughs> and create fairy circles with um, spells, so nobody can come within that fairy circle. You know, and we move those fairy circles around closer and on uh, uh, beyond the dogs are close to them. The whole progress, the whole class is geared to the boundaries that are set by each child. And while we respect their their fear and we recognize that we ch- once we know what those boundaries are, we'll challenge those boundaries. So if you have a magic wand and you say this this circle is my circle and this on making a spell and the dog can't come near them, well then, can the dog come over to this area? Can you open up the force field of your superhero over here? So we're always challenging and pushing the boundaries with respect to the child, and the child has the right of refusal every step of the way. Now, this was all set up, I, I presume, that Susan Burroughs didn't wake up one morning and write this Curriculum, I believe we'd call it. Yeah, we had curriculum. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, so, but I take it you had advice from psychologists and social workers and others who are expert at all this. Well, the magic part about Rainbow is we have volunteers who are child psychologists, doctors, teachers, special educators, social workers. So, volunteers within that program set up the curriculum. So, the curriculum it's a it's a multi hand type of endeavor here program. So the curriculum was originally set up not only by um, our founder, Nancy Lynn of Rainbow, but also uh, uh, two teachers. One was a special education teacher. So it's set up as if as if we were in a school environment as far as the educational progress, how we chart it and measure it. But, but we have within one class um, that I work in in dog apprehension, we have former teachers, we have an OB surgeon, <laughs> we hmm. have a social worker, and we have a child psychologist. So our volunteers are bringing their professional expertise into this program, and we're evolving it and changing it to meet the needs of each kid all the time. 
dog apprehension class is what this is called. This is for kids that are afraid of dogs. How many weeks does this class go? Well, we have six-week sessions. Some kids may you know, feel their parents, and they might feel comfortable in six weeks. They may be months. Dealing with these types of fears of dogs, where a child might even run into the street, they see a dog coming on the sidewalk, um, is a long process. And the child determines the progress. So it may be, we've had kids that may be with us for months. Um, it's totally based on how they, they progress. The idea is not to get them to like dogs. It's not to get them to necessarily have a dog. It's how they can exist in the world where dogs also exist and control that fear that they have, empower them to be able to deal with that as part of their um, lifestyle so it doesn't affect them, their quality of life. How many kids have been in the program so far and have, I don't know, graduated with honors, if you will, that you have overcome those fears the way you describe? In the past 15 years, oh, dozens and dozens and dozens of kids. Now, they're small classes, so currently we might have 10 kids currently in different, coming at different sessions. So um, it's it's not a large program where we have multiple kids coming through because it's very, very specialized. Do you have any kids that you've not been able to touch? Oh, yeah. Cause, uh, you know, Temple Grandin, who is one of my heroes, once said that, Dealing with children who are afraid of animals, um, one-third will come to love them, one-third will be indifferent, and one-third will be always not comfortable around them. Um, so, yes, but they, we hope that we've given them the skills and the tools to empower them to at least be able to cope with their fear. Well, and that's the thing, you know, so maybe they're still uncomfortable around them, but at least they don't run across the street and endanger themselves, right? I mean, that's, yeah, that's part of the point of this. I love the whole notion of this. I mean, it's really, really important. Dog apprehension classes from Rainbow Animal Assisted Therapy. How do people learn more about all of this? And how much do you charge, by the way? It's, uh, we charge $60 for six sessions. Uh, you can reach us at rainbowaat.org or call 773-283-1129. There's one thing that bothered me. You said you give the kids a superpower. Do you, mm-hmm. do you give radio host a superpower? <laughs> I, I think our, your superpower is everyone loves you. Interacts <laughs> with you. That's, That's very your superpower. You never met a stranger. You've all you wherever you go, you meet friends. Okay, I'll pay you the twenty bucks I owe you, Susan <laughs> Burrows. Thank you so much, really, for everything you do and all of the volunteers, the many volunteers at Rainbow Animal Assisted Therapy do and continue to do and continue to make an enormous difference in so many lives, even as we just learned in unexpected ways. Thank you, Susan. Oh, thank you, Steve, for inviting me. So what do you think public officials, when it comes to dogs, hear about more than any other topic? Well, if you were listening to Wendy Snyder and me talk about it, hold your ears because you already heard me talk a little bit about this, but I'm going to talk a little more about it right now. By the way, what do they hear about? 
whether we're talking aldermen for the city of Chicago or elsewhere, uh, or we're talking the governor. When it comes to do- really, when it co- any governor, when it comes to dogs, what they hear about not stray dogs, and it's not the dogs need rabies tags. It's not that. It's not dog bites. It is people don't pick up after their dog. They need to scoop the poop. I once was on a committee to direct the Chicago Park District about what they could do. And the committee was soon disbanded because they wouldn't do anything, as it turned out. But that's another story. But they had signs that they were going to put up that would say, there is no poop fairy, meaning it doesn't just disappear. It doesn't just go away. It eventually goes away from our eyesight, but it goes into the soil and potentially into the water table. That's not a good thing. But disease can be spread that way. Now, I would be here for five minutes at least just talking about the diseases. I'm not going to, but that's how many there are. And a lot of them can affect other dogs. A few of them can affect us as well, including Toxicaris. What is that? Check out the CDC. It is something you don't want to get, and it's something we can get from stray cats sometimes, by the way, but also people not picking up after their dogs. Dogs can get worms from other dogs, and the list goes on and on and on. But it's more than that, and it's more than being impolite to your neighbors who constantly have to scrape their shoes. Here's another example. Dog poop attracts flies, as well as other unwanted insects. And that's right, we give them lunch, free lunch, and they reproduce on the... Are you grossed out yet? It's early in the morning, so I will go away. We will talk to you next week, bright and early, with plastic bags on WGN.